Clement of Alexandria, in his famous Protrepticus, wrote that he had been informed that the secret mysteries of Sabatios, as practiced among the Romans, involved a serpent, a chthonic creature, unconnected with the mountain god of Phrygia, Sabatios. And he says that God in the bosom is a countersign of the mysteries of Sabatios to the adepts. The term God in the bosom from the Gospel of John in chapter 1, verse 18, it says that no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. This would turn out to be one of the most important verses in the Bible for Trinitarian theology. Christian theology did not develop overnight. From Paul's epistles to the writing of the Gospels and then all the way down to the Nicene Creed, Christian theology was not something that was agreed upon. Christian theology was an evolution of ideas. And some of these ideas, such as the Trinity, salvation, heaven, and hell, and the nature of Christ, are ideas that were not decided upon overnight. These things developed over time. The region of the Roman Empire, known as Bithynia and Phrygia and Thrace, Northern Macedonia, Pergamum, where the seven churches of Asia in the book of Revelation are. These are the main hotspots for Christian theology. These are where the church fathers lived and debated. These are Greek-speaking people. And I want to talk about where they came from. Why is it that Christianity has very different ideas than Judaism does? Could it be that the Greek world has just as much influence on Christianity as the Jewish world does? So what was happening in this part of the world before Christianity? The popular religions of this region was Orphism and the religion of the Great Mother and Attis. The popular philosophy at the time, Middle Platonism, which is a combination of Stoicism and Platonism with some influences of the peripatetic school of Aristotle and Epicurean thought. One of the best sources for Phrygian is from Strabo, who wrote in the first century with a wealth of knowledge and information. He talks about the rites of the Phrygians coming from the ancient Minoans, ancient Crete. Let's take a look at what Strabo has to say about Phrygia. The Coratians are called divinities or the attendants of the gods by those handing down Cretan and Phrygian matters, which are interwoven with certain sacred rites, some of which are mystical and some otherwise, about the rearing of the child Zeus on Crete and the celebration of the secret rites 
of the mother of the gods in Phrygia and the region of the Trojan Ida. The variation in these accounts is such that some show the Corinthians to be the same as the Corybantes or the Cabieri and the Idean Dactyls, the hand of Sabazios. Speaking in general, for the most part, they are all inspired and bacchic, with martial dances, uproar, noise, cymbals, drums, and arms, as well as the flute and cries, causing fear through their sacred rites in the manner of religious servants. These rites are considered to have something in common, those of the Samothracians, which is a mystery religion in the first century, and a number of other places because the divine servants are said to be the same. But any such topic of investigation is theological and not alien to the speculation of the philosophers. Plato in his Phaedon 61, and the Pythagoreans called philosophy music, and they say that the cosmos is constructed according to harmony, assuming that every form of music is the work of the gods. Thus the muses are goddesses. Apollo is the leader of the muses, and everything poetic is properly praised. Similarly, they attribute to music the building of character, as everything that improves the mind is near to the gods. Most of the Hellens attribute to Dionysos, Apollo, Hecate, the Muses, and by Zeus to Demeter, everything pertaining to secret rites, Bacchic or Choral, as well as mystic initiations. They call both Dionysus and the divine leader of the mysteries of Demeter, Yakos. The carrying of branches, choral dances, and initiations are common with these gods. The muses are set over the choruses and Apollo over both these divination. But all educated people, especially musicians, are servants of the muses. And these, as well as those connected with divination, belong to Apollo. The initiated torchbearers and hierophants belong to Demeter, the Silinoi, Satyrs, and Bacchants, as well as those called Lenai, Thyai, Mimelonis, Naiads, and Nymphs belong to Dionysos. These ceremonies, especially those sacred to Zeus, were performed on the island of Crete with secret rites such as servants as those who are around Dionysus, the satyrs. These were called choritus, young men who exhibited martial movements along with dancing, presenting the myth of the origin of Zeus, introducing Kronos as being accustomed to swallow his children immediately after birth, and Rhea attempting to keep her labor pains secret. For this, she took the Corites as helpers, with drums and other such sounds, and the noisy martial dance protected the goddess, 
and would create panic in Kronos, secretly stealing the child away so that he would be given over to them to be carefully raised. Thus, the Koratis, because they were young men doing this service, or because they raised the young Zeus, it is said both ways, were believed worthy of this name. Such are the Hellens in regard to secret rites, the tribe of the Phrygians, and the Trojans living around Ida, honored Rhea, and worshipped her in secret rites, calling her the mother of the gods, the Phrygian and great goddess, as well as the Idaean mother, naming after the mountain in Crete. The Hellens call her servants by the same name, Coratus, but not from the same mythical tale, but another, as if there were certain assistants to the satyrs, call them Coribantes. The poets are evidence for these conjectures. Pindar, in his Dithrim, that begins, Formerly there walked the song of the Dithrim, moving straight ahead, records the hymns about Dionysus, both the ancient and latter ones, and passing on from these, he says, the august and great mother, the whirling of the cymbals, begins among the loud exultation of the rattles and the torch kindled in the yellow pines. He shows the customs of the Hellens around Dionysus and those of the mother of the gods among the Phrygians, related to each other. Euripides does the same thing in his Bacchae, bringing the Lydian together with the Phrygian because of their resemblance. But those who left Tomolos, the fortress of Lydia, my revelers, women, raise up their symbols native to the Phrygian city, inventions of myself and the mother of the gods. O oh, blessed is he who is fortunate and lives a pure life, preserving the rights of the great mother Kybele and brandishing the Thrysis wreath with ivy. He who serves Dionysus becomes the Bacchus. Bring down Bromios, the son of a god, the god Dionysus from the mountains of Phrygia to the wide streets of Hellas. Again, in the following, he weaves in Cretan matters. O inner room of the Coritus, sacred interiors of Crete, giving birth to Zeus in the cave, were the three-helmeted Coribantes invented for me the drum stretched with hide and mixed in intense Bacchic frenzy with the sweet-sounding breath of the Phrygian flutes placed in the hands of Mother Rhea make the noisy Bacchic shout. Maddened satyrs obtained from the mother Rhea and added them the third year dances that praised Dionysos. Euripides in Palamedes, the chorus says of the hair of Dionysus who rejoices on Ida with his dear mother with the Yachic drums. They bring together into one, Selenos, Marcias, and Olympus, as the historical inventors of flutes, again associating the Dionysiac and Phrygian 
matters. Often they confuse Ida with Olympus, making them resound as the same mountain. There are four peaks of Ida called Olympos, Nir, and Dantria, and there is the Mysian Olympos that borders Ida. But it is not the same. At any rate, they invented suitable names for the flute, and for the noise of the rattles, cymbals, and drums, and for the shouting, the bucket cries, and the foot stomping, as well as the servants, choral dancers, psalmist, and the attendants of the sacred rites. The cabieri, corybantus, pans, satyrs, calling the god Bacchus, and calling Rhea, Kybele. Sabazios is also a Phrygian, in a way the child of the mother, as he too transmitted Dionysiac matters. Similar to these rituals are those among the Thracians, among whom the Orphic ritual began. The Athenians, just as they continue to be hospitable to other foreign ways, are so in regard to the gods. They admitted so many foreign rituals, especially Thracian and Phrygian, that they were ridiculed for it. Plato records the Bendean and Demosthenes on the crown. The Phrygian, when he attacks the mother of Aeschines and the man himself for being with his mother during her initiations, joining her in leading the revels and often calling out Iwa, Iwa, Sabao, Sabao, and Hais, Atis, Hais, Atis, which belong to the Sabazia and the mother, always adding myth to their accounts. It is not easy to solve accurately all the enigmas, but if their greater numbers of myths are near to divine inspiration, rituals, and prophecy, in such a way, also is enthusiasm for the arts, especially the Dionysiac and Orphic rites. So the native religion of what became Christendom, the origins of Christian, Roman Christian, Eastern Roman Empire, was this Phrygian religion surrounded around the great mother of the gods, but also this character named Sabatios, whose name some people think might have a connection with Saba or the Sabbath. The Byzantine Greek Encyclopedia from the 10th century states that Sabatios is the same as Dionysus. He acquired this form of address from the rite pertaining to him, for the barbarians call the Bacchic cry Sabatian. Hence, some of the Greeks too follow suit and cry Sabasmos, thereby Dionysus becomes his father Sabatios. They also used to call Saboi, those places that had been dedicated to him as Bacchans. Demosthenes, Athenian orator, in his speech on behalf of Tisiphon, mentions them. Some say that this Saboi is the term for those who are dedicated to Sabazios. That is to Dionysus, just as those dedicated to Bacchus are Bacchoi. They say that Dionysus and Sabatios are the same.
Thus, some also say that the Greeks called Bakoi Saboi. In 139 BCE, Romans kicked out the Jews from the city. And according to Valerius Maximus, they wrote that Gnaeus Hispalus, the praetor, in the year of the consulate of Marcus Populus Lanus, ordered that the astrologers, by an edict, leave Rome and Italy within 10 days, since by a fallacious interpretation of the stars, they protrude fickle and silly minds, thereby making profit out of their lies. The same praetor compelled the Jews who attempted to affect the Roman custom with the cult of Jupiter Sabazios to return to their homes. Some of these Romans identified Yahweh Tzavaot, which is Yahweh, Lord of the Host, as Jove Sabatsios. This also is repeated by Plutarch, who maintained that the Jews actually worshipped Dionysus and that the Sabbath was the festival of Sabatios. Now, even if this isn't true, some of this might have influenced later Greek monotheists known as the Hypsisterians. These Hypsisterians inhabited the same lands as the Christians and worshippers in Orphics were, which was the Anatolia and Thrace region. And they believed in a God Most High, Theos Hypsistos. And it turns out that this cult may have formed from the native Cappadocian cult of Zeus Sabatios, with integration of Jewish ideals. However, these strict monotheists, who also fraternized with the Jews and heavily borrowed from the Greek Septuagint, also considered themselves free from the laws of Moses, something that lines up with the writings of Paul. Could it be that the people who Paul are writing to in these letters are in fact worshippers of Theos Hypsistos, the God Most High? Clement of Alexandria, in his famous Protrepticus, wrote that he had been informed that the secret mysteries of Sabatios, as practiced among the Romans, involved a serpent chthonic creature unconnected with the mountain god of Phrygia, Sabatios. And he says that God in the bosom is a countersign of the mysteries of Sabatios to the adepts. He said that this is a snake passed through the bosom of the initiates. Now, why is that so profound? Because the term God in the bosom from the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, verse 18, it says that no man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. This would turn out to be one of the most important verses in the Bible for Trinitarian theology. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. In the same way that Dionysus, or Zagreus, is inside of 
Sabatsios or Zeus. Sabatsios is a god of dual nature who is father and son rolled into one, connected through a mediator, which is the spirit that possesses the initiates in the frenzies. Sabatsios to the Roman world mediated in large part through Pergamon, the naturally syncretic approach of Greek religion blurred distinctions. Diodorus of Sicily conflated Sabatios with the secret second Dionysus that only initiates know about, not found in any text, who is born of Zeus and Persephone. The idea of a trinity, usually a god of dual nature, connected by a third spiritual nature that mediates in between them. We see this long before Christianity comes along. For example, Plato in his Timaeus says, anything created then is bound to be corporeal, visible and tangible, but fire is required for the creation of anything visible and solidity for anything that is tangible and earth for solidity. It follows that the God began to form the body of the universe out of fire and earth. But it's impossible for any two things to form from proper structure without the presence of a third thing. There has to be some bond to mediate between the two of them and bring them together. The best bond is the one that most effectively unifies itself and the things it is joining, and nothing does this better than correspondence. For whenever among three numbers, the matter, three solids, or three powers, one is a mean, such as the first in the series stands to be the mean. So the mean stands to the final number of the series, or conversely, as the final number stands to the mean. So the mean stands to the first, then the mean can also be treated as first or last, or alternatively, the first and last terms can be treated as means. And so all of them will, out of necessity, turn out to be identical. And since they are identical, they are all three one. The Greek Jewish writer Philo expands upon Platonism through the Jewish lens. In his book titled, Who is the Divine Heir of All Things? He says, but there are three kinds of life. The first life to God, the second with respect to the creature, and the third is on the borders of both, being compounded of the two others. For since the soul is spoken of in two ways, first of all as whole, secondly as the dominant part of it, which to speak properly is the soul of the soul, just as the eye is both the whole orb and also the most important part of that orb, that namely by which we see it seemed good to the lawgiver, that the essence of the soul should be likewise twofold, blood being the essence of the entire soul and the divine spirit being the essence of the dominant part of it. Accordingly, the soul of all flesh is the blood thereof. The creator of the universe 
breathed into his face the breath of life, and man became a living soul, who also, it is recorded, who fashioned after the image of the Creator. So the race of mankind is also twofold, the one being the race and those who live by the divine spirit and reason, is formed of the earth, but that other is an accurate copy of the divine image. He then later on says, the body to fit it for its appropriate stationary conditions or motions is invisible spermatic, technical, and divine logos, which shall most properly be de dedicated to the Father. Apportion cold and heat in summer and spring, the different seasons of the year, divided by this dividing logos. For thus God allotted three days to eternity, before the appearance of the sun, those which came after the sun, he allotted to time, the sun being the imitation of eternity, and time being the two primary powers of living God, the one his beneficent power in accordance which he made the world and is called God, and the other the chastening power according to which he rules and governs what he has created in respect which he further denominated lord and these two he here states to be divided in the middle by him standing above them both for he says i will speak to you from above the mercy seat in the midst between the two cherubims that he might show the most ancient powers of the living god are equal that is his beneficent and chastising power being both divided by the same dividing logos. So in Philo, we have this platonic idea of the monad having a twofold nature with a spirit to mediate between the two. This to me is what later is adopted as Trinitarian theology. Among Roman inscriptions from Nicopolis, Sabatios is generally equated with Jove and mentioned alongside Mercury. Mercury is called the angel and the messenger and the logos, which is also talked about in Philo's work as well. Which brings us to the next idea is that if this really is a monotheistic tradition that evolved from the ancient rites of polytheism, then what happens to all the other lesser gods? I think that it's quite possible that these lesser gods become angels and demons. As in, we know for sure that Mercury, Athena, Nike, as well as others like Diana are titled as Angelos, angels, messengers. And the other lesser deities, sometimes called daemons, that term daemon, which didn't necessarily mean evil deity, certainly became that way. As in Roman religion, there's the idea of lairs, which are spirits of the mortals who passed away. But there's also what's called the genius. And these are equivalent to what is now guardian angels. In ancient Roman religion, manes, d manes, are the chthonic deities 
sometimes represent the deceased loved ones. Here we have a 3rd century Christian tombstone that stands dismanibus, the spirits of the dead. So the same language is still being thrown around in these early Christian texts. Apuleius says, indeed, that the souls of men are daemons, and that men become lairs if they are good, lemures or larvae if they are bad, and manes if it is uncertain whether they deserve well or ill. He also states that the blessed are called daemones, because they are good souls, that is to say, good daemons, conforming his opinion that the souls of men are daemons. Could it be that these are the origins of people who go to heaven, people who go to hell, and people who go to purgatory? In fact, people who end up as lemures, the wicked ones, are belong to a category that was called D and theory, those who dwell below. These are the people who are going to the bad part of Hades, who have eternal damnation, if you will. In Horace, a first century BC writer, you can see these ideas are already reflected in their common thought, where in his Ode to Mercury, he says, I call upon you, Mercury. You were the master who taught your pupil Amphion to move stones by singing, and upon you, tortoise so adept, to make seven strings sound. Let Lydie hear their crime and also of its famous punishment, the vat of water, forever emptying through a leaking bottom, and the fate that awaits sinners in the underworld. So you have right there the imagery of a bottomless pit that is for sinners. When Julius Caesar died, it was said that Venus came down from the heavens and brought his body up with her. The idea of the good rising upwards and the bad going down was part of Roman religion during the Augustan age. Augustus on his death, the same thing happened. People said they saw Augustus rise up out of his grave and go up into the sky. And then as well for Claudius. This, a similar story occurs in which Claudius is seen flying up into the sky. Well, for, as a result of this, it became a common thing that people wanted to go up into heaven instead of going down into Hades, which was the common norm for everybody. By the time you get to the third century, it's pretty much universal that heaven is up and hell is down. This becomes central to Christian theology, which these ideas are found nowhere in the Old Testament or in Judaism. I also find it interesting that when Pliny the Younger is talking about the Christians in the second century, he describes them as a group of people from Bithynia who are getting up at dawn every morning and singing hymns to Jesus. The singing hymns in Bithynia was the common practice of the religion of the Orphics and the Sabbatian mysteries. And in the earliest depictions of Jesus found in the catacombs, you can see 
he is depicted as Orpheus playing the lyre. I'm going to leave you with one last idea, and this might be a stretch, but I think it's interesting to point out. When Jesus is on the cross, the last thing he says is, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Could it be that the author of this text was placing a pun on sabachthani, sabachthoni, which is a title for the underworld infernal sabatios? Let me know what you think in the comments. What do you think about these ideas? You have just attained true gnosis.